You're going where? You're doing what? Are you crazy, Aunt Tam? Make sure you subscribe. Welcome to Many Roads Traveled. I'm Tamara, and I have one question for you. Do you love to travel? Awesome! Well, then I invite you to join me on my 30,000-mile road trip from Paris to Cape Town back to Nairobi. One more thing. We'll be traveling back in time to 1993 before the internet, Google Maps, and cell phones. However, not to worry because I do give you up-to-date info on each episode. Plus, you can always find more information on my website, manyroadstravel.com. So, without further ado, let's hit the road! Here we go! It is episode 59 and the last episode for this series all about my African trip crazy adventures that I did over 16 months and 31,000 miles. After doing episode by episode, I realized it wasn't 30, it was 31,000. So in this last episode, we'll be covering 1,000 miles, taking us up to 31,000, and going basically my kind of last stop from Nairobi. I've spent almost two weeks in the beautiful island of Lamu once again. And then have literally, I think, two nights left in Nairobi before I fly to England, where I end up living for over 20 years. <laughs> so when I left Canada in January 1993, I thought I'd be gone for six months. Well, I was actually gone for 21 and a half years. So that's what I love about traveling. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> okay, so pick it up where we left off last episode, back in Nairobi. And I spent a couple days in Nairobi before hanging out to Lamu. So, of course, that meant doing some more final shopping, souvenirs, things like that. And hitting up carnivores one last time. Well, actually, I went again. <laughs> so carnivores was this crazy, like, huge restaurant, like, in Nairobi. But you had to get a taxi out there for where we were staying. And... It was just great. Like it had the biggest barbecue pit I've ever seen in my life to this day. And they did 40 different types of roast meats every night. So it varied as well. So the reason why we went, I went again for the second time because I, when I was out shopping, I got a 15% off discount. So when I got back to Iqbal's, which is the guest house I always stayed at in Nairobi, because now I've probably spent, I don't know, three weeks in Nairobi probably on and off. And I had quite a few friends. I'd had a couple, three guys that I traveled up with from Malawi to Nairobi. We're like, okay, let's go. But I was getting very little money and I just didn't fancy the meat. So I just got, so I go to a place called Carnivores and I had vegetarian lasagna. <laughs> it was about half the price is the carnivores. Plus I got to, you know, because what happens is the waiter comes around with these huge metal steaks with these you know hunks of meat on them and carve them off onto your plate with the machete because it's an all you can eat and you just tell them how many slices you want basically so I was able to like nibble off my friends so I had some more crocodile which was my favorite then some new ones was like heart of beast and elond and well I had zebra again and some wild boar why not eh so I was supposed to go leave the next day to go to Mombasa. These two guys were going to give me a drive, like a ride there. But it was like absolutely pissing it down the next day. And then because we went to the disco after dinner, which was part of the carnivores, huge 
complex. <laughs> so the restaurants one end and the discos on the other. So they're like, we don't really want to go in the rain and we're hungover. So whatever, we're going to go to the next day. I'm like, fine. So that was happened to be a Sunday. So it's around May 1st, 1994. So yeah, Sunday, just a mellow day, chilling out, going out to eat, just relaxing. Next morning, we finally left to Mombasa. And my friend BJ, this girl who I'd met in Nairobi, she came with me to go to Lamu. So the two of us jumped in the back of the pickup. Luckily, it had stopped raining. And they had cushions in the back of the pickup. So that was super comfy for me because, as you may or may not know, I mean, I hitchhiked a lot through this trip, especially from Durban back up to Nairobi. I pretty much hitched the whole way. So we got to my boss about six hours later and then said goodbye to the boys because they, I don't know, they were going somewhere else. Uh, and BJ and I, we found a hotel room in Mombasa to stay the night because it was getting a bit late. And then once we got settled in Mombasa, we went and got our bus tickets for Lamu for the next day, the next morning. And then just kind of, yeah, had dinner had an early night. The next morning we got on the bus and unfortunately we got like the second last seat in the back, which is, I've like I said, I've gone to Lamu before and it's a long journey. <laughs> like I don't know, it's about... 14 hours from Nairobi direct but once you get past Malindi which is the next big coastal town on the Kenyan coast the roads are crap dirt roads potholes just really bad so when we got these seats I was like oh no <laughs> these are not good so like I said once we got to Malindi we stopped had breakfast like the whole bus so that was fine and then they had actually started paving that road just outside of Malindi to Lamu so they'd done about 30 kilometers, which was great. So it was, a, you know, dirt road potholes. And I swear, I thought I was going to have kidney damage, <laughs> the amount you get bounced around back there. And to add to matters, for some reason, this bus decided to stop at every village along the way. Like, it wasn't even on the main road, like, go off and stop at a village. So it just took forever, like, took eight hours just to get from Malindi to Lamu, which is ridiculous. But anyways, we finally got to where the ferry is so there's a dock because Lamu's an island so I got there like late afternoon and then jumped on the ferry got to Lamu and then as soon as I saw Lamu I was just like oh yeah right this is the right decision because I loved it there I spent I think two or three weeks on my way down there it's such a beautiful island it's pretty small just cute little you know those white washed buildings really narrow pathways in the village and then the beautiful beach with just sand dunes and hardly anyone ever there which is about a 45 minute walk from the town <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i guess so the main town anyways we went to stay at this guest house where my friend claire and craig who i'd met last time i was in nairobi basically and claire is my friend who i traveled together for about three months around lake victoria and who i was going to live with in England, you know, in a couple of weeks. So I trusted their judgment kind of thing. So anyway, so Claire and Craig told us about this place. So we went there, checked out this guest house, met a lovely guy, Johnson, who worked there. And he was awesome. And he remembered Claire and Craig. And he was like, oh, cool. So we stayed there for a night, but it was just too hot. So the next morning I said to Johnson, I was like, okay, I'm going to go look for, because last time I stayed in Lamu, we rented a house. So that's what I was kind of doing. He's like, okay, well, I could probably tell you about a few places or introduce you to my friend, John. Introduced me to this guy, John, who was another awesome local guy. And he took me to one guest house, but I was like, it's too far away. And then he's like, oh, okay, well, there's this house right behind Petley's. 
Now, Pedley's was pretty much the only bar on the island. And it's awesome. It's been there for decades and decades and decades. It's a great place. And he goes, yeah, there's a house right behind Pedley's that's available. I'm like, awesome. So would you check it out? Yep. It was like four bedrooms. It had uh, the rooftop patio, two bedrooms up there, two bedrooms in the house, kitchen, bathrooms. Great. Awesome. And it was like $2 to rent the house a night. <laughs> and because I thought my friends from Nairobi, Andrew, Steve, and Chris were coming, like in a few days to Lamu, I'm like, okay, that's perfect. Because they, you know, there's two more spare rooms. So great. And he's like, okay, that's fine. So I went back and got PJ, we moved to the house, and then ended up chatting with John, who was the technically houseboy for the place, who was just, like I said, he was lovely, just the sweetest guy. And Johnson, we went back to Johnson and ended up having a couple smokes with them because everyone on this island smoked weed, <laughs> pretty much. And you'll have to hear about my last episode about Lamu, I don't know, about six months ago, where we had, like, to say, an issue with supposedly police about dope, but I don't know. It's crazy. Just listen to that episode. Anyway, yeah, so I had a few joints with them. That was that was fun. And then that afternoon, I decided to go walk down to the beach, which is great because I hadn't really been doing too much exercise <laughs> considering the amount I did before. So yeah, it's a lovely 45-minute walk. I always felt super safe in Lama, never a problem. So I got to the beach, spent about three, four hours there, had a swim. It was beautiful. Because BJ wasn't feeling great, so she basically just slept for two days, to be honest. Topping up my tan, because I was going to England in like just over two weeks, so, you know, I wanted to make sure I was nice and tan. And then I went back into town. I went to one of my favorite restaurants there called Bush Gardens and had the most amazing kingfish dinner. It's like chips and salad and everything. It was so good. The seafood, honestly, one of the reasons I love Lama so much is the food. <laughs> the food is awesome and really cheap. And they literally do the best fruit shakes that I've ever had to this day. So good. And back then it was like 60 cents or something. It was ridiculous. So I tried to get in one of those shakes a day. And when I was having dinner, I met this guy, English guy called Brandon. It was okay. He's a little bit geeky, but he was all right. Him and I went back to Johnson's place and ended up getting super drunk and super stoned. <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> so the next day after breakfast, which is usually fruit pancakes, Headed back to the beach by myself and I was there for about an hour or so. And then Brandon showed up, <laughs> but he had a bag of weed with him. So that was okay. <laughs> so again, just got pretty stoned on the beach, had some swims, chilled out there for the afternoon. And then earlier, actually that night, gave my Walkman to Johnson because it, it was starting to eat my tapes. Now remember this back in the early 90s, 93, 94, when Walkmans were just cassette players, right? portable cassette players and it just kept eating my tapes and of course I only had so many tapes with me as well you know I have one backpack do you know anyone that could possibly fix this and he's like yeah yeah a friend of mine probably you know could fix it and I was like okay great so when we got back from the beach I went back to Johnson's to see if his friend had fixed it or not and he's he's like yeah no he fixed it but he wants like 350 shillings to fix it I paid a thousand shillings for a new one. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm not paying that because I, like I said, I didn't have much money at all. So I did. I managed to barter him down to 150. So the third day, I was just like, okay, the boys still haven't shown up. Like my friends from Nairobi, I'm like, where? We weren't from Nairobi that I met in Nairobi. So that was a bit weird. I went to the market. I just bought some stuff to make pancakes and some fruit. So I thought I'd surprise BJ because she was feeling a little bit better. 
So I made her breakfast. She was very impressed with my cooking skills. <laughs> so I really hadn't cooked for a long time, <laughs> at least in the kitchen. Done some campfire cooking. And then went back to Johnson, got my Walkman working. So that was awesome. Because honestly, even now, when you're on these long 10-hour or more bus rides or journeys, back trucks, whatever, music is your savior for me anyways. So that was, I was super happy about that. And then the next day I met these two guys, Antoine and Mark, who's Australian. And Mark, oh my gosh, he's like drop dead, gorgeous body, really nice guy, and just the most piercing ice blue eyes. So I quite fancied him, <laughs> and he was really nice too. So I kind of hung out with them that day on the beach, and then we went back to theirs and just had a crazy smoking session. Like, honestly, I think I was just stoned for two weeks solid in Atlanta. <laughs> just nothing wrong with that. <laughs> And then the next day I was kind of shopping because I, my clothes were literally like tattered. Like some of them were held together literally by safety pins. And, you know, I'm going to England. I have no money and no clothes. <laughs> it's like, this isn't probably ideal. <laughs> so I was really banking on my friend Claire to kind of help me out for a little while. So I got, you know, jobs and money and everything, which she ended up doing, which is great. Thank you so much to this day. <laughs> So when I was out the next day, uh, I met these two local, like they're very well known, the Lamu Beach Boys. So they're kind of like hustlers and, you know, trying with the girls and all that stuff, right? So I was aware of them, but I met these two really, really nice Beach Boy guys called Abdul and Alibaba because I was out shopping and I just started to piss it down. So I just kind of ducked into the nearest shop and they owned it or they worked there. Or I don't know. They were just in there. Start chatting to them, and they're like, what are you up to? I'm like, I don't know, because pissing it down with rain. And they're like, well, do you want to come back to ours and first smoke? I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I did that, spent the afternoon with them. Like I said, they were awesome. And it was just another reminder to myself to, you know, not judge a book by its cover. And, you know, they didn't try it on with me or anything. We are just friends. So that was really cool, because that can be a pain in the ass when you just want to hang out with someone and they're always trying it on with you. And it's like, no, back off. <laughs> But they didn't do that. So that was really good. And then the next night, I guess I was in a cooking mood. So I decided to make dinner for BJ, myself, the two beach boys, and the other boys, Australian boys. Honestly, I hung out with, I realized this, going, especially doing this podcast. I was like, wow, I really hung out with mostly guys <laughs> like this most of this trip, except for Claire, where we traveled together for three months. And then when I traveled with what I call the Commonwealth crew, which was Warren, Ollie, Leona and Lisa, so half and half. Yeah, mostly guys. Like most men were the ones that picked me up hitching. Well, all men, except for a few families. And who I hung out with a lot was guys. So again, no problems there. <laughs> like I said, I don't know if I got really lucky and just met lots of great guys, but just didn't really ever have a problem. So that's, that was, I was counting my blessings. Anyway, so I made, yeah, prawns and pasta for dinner and everyone loved it. So that was cool. And then we went to Petley's later on, had a few drinks, and then we went back to Mark and Antoine's for some more takeaway beers, and you guessed it, smoking session. <laughs> and now a quick sponsor break. Please, please, please never travel without travel insurance. Trust me, I learned once from the hard way and never again. <laughs> this is the travel insurance company that I use, and they're awesome. They cover over 130 different countries, so go check them out manyroadstravel.com forward slash insurance double l and traveled and don't leave home without it as the saying goes 
Okay, now back to the show. And don't forget, please, please, please never travel without travel insurance. Trust me, I learned once from the hard way and never again. <laughs> this is the travel insurance company that I use and they're awesome. They cover over 130 different countries. So go check them out. Manyroadstravel.com forward slash insurance, double L and traveled, and don't leave home without it, as the saying goes. <laughs> Not only is it great for you, but it also helps support the show. Thank you. Then one of my last days there, BJ and I went to the beach together, and then she left a bit earlier than me, about 3.30. She's like, well, are you going to come? I was like, no, I'll just wait for, I don't know why, but I was like, I'll, I'm gonna, I just want to have another swim and get all the sand off me. Well, I'll meet you back at the house. So she left and like literally I was the only one on the beach. Like <laughs> for and yeah, I just literally went into the water for maybe five minutes just to wash off the sand, have a last dip, because I didn't know if I'd be coming back down to the beach or not, you know, before I left. So once I got out of the water, you know, I walked back to where my stuff was, my stuff was gone. I was like, holy shit. Like I hadn't even seen anyone on the beach. I had seen this kid who was maybe 13, 14, 15 earlier that was kind of hanging out by bushes because you had the beach and then behind the beach were all these sand dunes with bushes and things like that like more like deserty bushes right and I'd seen him a few hours prior well like when we got there but then I just obviously thought he left so all my stuff's gone I'm like are you kidding me not happy at all so I kind of went looking and saw my t-shirt and shorts underneath one bush so I'm like, okay, well, at least I have clothes to rock in. Because there was a, I don't know if it's all Muslim there, but there's quite a lot of Muslim people that live there. So I don't want to be walking through town in a bikini. That's not cool. So I found my clothes and then I saw my bag and he dumped all my stuff out of my bag. And of course, my wallet, money was gone. And I never used to bring money to the beach or maybe like 100 shillings. I think it was about 50 shillings to the dollar back then. But I happened to have 550 shillings in my wallet that day because I was picking up a pair of trousers that I had made for me after the beach. So that's, of course, that day would happen that he I get robbed. <laughs> I hardly had any money left because it was coming near the end. I wanted to have at least a couple hundred bucks when I got to England. So, yeah, this was not good. And then I realized my watch that I had remember back in the 90s, but they're really popular. I think they're still around. A G watch. You know, at the time was worth over $100. Plus, I need my watch for, you know, I had my alarm on it and everything like that. So now I was super pissed. <laughs> like, stole my money and you stole my watch. What? So I saw the footprints in the, in the sand. So I just took off, like, I put everything back in my bag, got, you know, put my clothes on, and then took off and followed the footprints and followed them. And I swear, I was, <laughs> was going to be Tiger Lady would have been coming out <laughs> if I'd have caught him. But then it goes to hard sand, and then I can see the footprints anymore, so lost that battle. Very pissed off and not very happy. Went back into town. Now, couldn't pick up my trousers either because I had no money. So, yeah, I went back to the house, told BJ the whole thing. She's like, well, let's go for, oh, let's go for a beer to Pat Lee's. <laughs> Pat Lee's. See, very handy living right behind Pat Lee's. So we did that, and then Mark and Antoine, they came as well. So I told them and they're like, that really sucks. Yep. <laughs> so the boys were like, well, listen, we're to cheer you up. We'll make you dinner tonight. I'm like, okay. So we went to this for dinner and, you know, the usual smoking session and a few drinks and all that. So 
fun. I mean, that was pretty much every day <laughs> for me, which was awesome. But I kept hoping that me and Mark might, you know, have at least a snog, you know, make out sesh, but just kept not happening, which is annoying. Although we'd always sit beside each other and there was definitely, you know, flirtation, some energy between us, but no. And then the next morning it was funny because I was coming back to the house after breakfast because I usually just had breakfast by myself. So I was coming back to the house and there's three ladies in, in Swahili. They're called boy boys. So it's like a, a burqa. Muslim women wear, you know, fully covered in black, just your eye slits kind of thing. So there's three ladies sitting or standing on the porch to get into my house. And I just, you know, I said hi and just wa- went to walk in. And then I all of a sudden I heard BJ's voice going, hey, Tam. I was like, is that you? She's like, yeah, I just bought this. I'm like, why did you buy that? She wasn't Muslim. It was really funny. And the two women she was with were local ladies who she'd bought it off of. So I was like, all right, let's go inside. Let me try it on. Now, there's no way I would do this nowadays, but I don't know. Young, stupid, whatever. And they didn't mind. The, the women I was with didn't care. So I put it on. I was like, okay, I'm going to walk through town just to see what it feels like to wear one of these, right? And in a weird way, it was kind of funny. Like you do felt, because no one knows who you are. So you kind of feel protected or you're almost like a spy. I don't know. It's kind of odd feeling, but this was bad. Then I went into Petley's and ordered a beer (laughs) in Swahili. (laughs) All the locals were just like staring at me. And then I got a straw and I was drinking my beer through a straw underneath the bar cup. Not cool. Like, so not cool. <laughs> and, I, like, I couldn't stop laughing. So I finally, like, took off my veil and just started laughing. And then all the locals just, honestly, they were pissing themselves laughing. They were on the floor crying with laughter because they were like, we didn't know what was happening. Because, <laughs> obviously, you know, Muslims don't drink alcohol, right? Women by themselves do not go in bars, ever. So, anyways, I was bad. They all really laughed. And then they started calling me the Ninja Mzungu, because Mzungu is what you get called all the time in Kenya and Tanzania, especially because it means Swahili for like foreigner. So, yeah, so then I was now known as the Ninja Mzungu. <laughs> so at least I, I didn't offend anyone. So if I'm telling this story, I offend anyone, I do apologize. I would never do that now. And so I went back to the house and told everyone. They were just like, they were cracking up too. So the two girls that were still with BJ, they invited BJ and I to this pre-wedding party that night because it was women only. And they're like, "It's you got to come. It's going to be awesome. So we went and we went to the bride-to-be's house first while the women got ready and we had just, you know, a cup of chai and everything. And then we went to the dance and the dance was like completely cordoned off, like the area where they had it, completely like blanketed off, cordoned off. You know, men were not allowed to see them. And if a man was caught peeking at the women, he would go to jail. So it was super strict. But it was, oh my gosh, it was just one of the best nights ever. And hardly any of the women wore the the boy boys, the barkas. So they were dressed up to the nines, makeup, everything. And honestly, the way they moved, I couldn't believe it. I was like, you guys could be all professional dancers. <laughs> You're so good. And there was, you know, girls and women of all ages from little, you know, little tiny girls, two, three years old up to like a 85-year-old grand- grandma. <laughs> it was so awesome. And they would f- sometimes like they'd form a circle and like one or two women would go in the middle and dance and, you know, whatever, have the spotlight. And then 
other women would give them like small bills, money, and cheap jewelry. Kind of sound like strippers. <laughs> I totally don't. <laughs> um, and it was just so awesome. And then they wore this like kanga around their hips to accentuate their hips. And then they put one around me and got me in the middle a few times. And then I had little kids, little girls teach me the dance moves and just laughing. Like it was honestly one of my favorite nights. It was so awesome. I was so honored to have been invited to this because obviously not many people get to see that, especially, you know, foreign women. So it was brilliant. I had such a good time. So we stayed there till about three in the morning. And then PJ and I went over to the men's party, their dance party. Not nearly as good. And that kind of wrapped up around three-ish or so. So we must have got there a little bit before three. Because we went back around 3.30 or something like that. Well, the women partied till six in the morning. <laughs> I was like, nice. <laughs> it was a really, really great night. And then, yeah, my last day there. Well, actually, a couple days before my last day. My ear infection had come back big time because I got a really, really bad ear infection in Malawi and it kept coming and going. So couldn't really drink because I was back on antibiotics and ear drops. And, you know, I was flying to England in like four days. So I was like, oh, my gosh, because then I met this girl, of course, tells me this horror story about one time she flew with an ear infection and she burst both of her eardrums on the plane. Like, Great. Thanks for telling me that. <laughs> so I was a little bit worried about that. So, yeah, Mark Antoine, an Israeli girl, we were going to rent a dow, which is like these wooden boats that the locals make, which are beautiful with these big white sails, that day and go around the island. Well, it rained until like three in the afternoon. It was my last day, too. So it finally stopped raining and the guys were like, well, let's go. Let's go now. I'm like, OK, fine. That's cool. So got on the dow. And so we're going to the other side of the island. So we sailed around the island to get to this little village called Metatonia, where they actually make the dows. But there was no wind, <laughs> so it took us quite a while to get to the other side of the island, to this village. Finally got there. Well, we did have a few joints on the boat, of course. <laughs> so by the time we got there, like we were starving, but we had a little tour of the village, and we saw at the time they were making this huge, absolutely beautiful, stunning, like dark wood uh, dow. So that was really cool, just watching them make it. And then we finally were like, okay, we got to eat. So we just found there's a little tea shop. So we had some chai and these little manzinis, which are kind of like deep fried donuts. And then by the time we got back on the Dow, it was already dark. We're like, okay, it's not ideal. Because there's no lights. <laughs> no lights on the boat, you know. So really not ideal to be sailing in a you know, pitch black. But at first I was like, oh, wow, I kind of feel like, you know, it's really beautiful. There wasn't really many stars. But I've kind of felt like I was in the Arabian Nights, but on the sea rather than on sand. Well, then it turned bad because this humongous storm came out of nowhere and just started like pissing it down, raining super hard. And the wind, and I have what I call windophobia. I really hate strong wind. It freaks me out. I get panic attacks. <laughs> like I just don't like it. So the wind is like gale force winds. The Dow captain whatever like he he had to keep saying like a, you know when the waves are coming like get on the other side of the boat so there's you know the four of us had to move in tandem so the boat wouldn't capsize well a few times we'd be late and like the boats like we're almost flipped over so many times so close and then other times the waves are so huge they'd actually crash in the dow so then the dow was filling up with water we're sinking you only had two little scoops that plastic buckets to empty the boat 
like little ones. We're like, oh my God, we're going to, like, we're going to drown. Like, seriously. Of course, no life jackets. It was super scary. Like, I was thinking, okay, how far can I swim? Because parts of the island that don't have any villages, there's no light. So you can't even see really where you are, how far away you are, nothing. It was literally just being pitch black with super strong wind and rain pelting you. And we're freezing now, too, because we're just in, you know, little vest top, tank top, and shorts, and the rain is really cold. So the only perk was I got to snuggle up with next to Mark for body heat. That was the only perk, honestly, because I thought, I was really thought, we're going to be in some serious trouble, if not drown, for sure. Anyways, we finally see some lights. Oh, my God, there's Lamu, like the village. It's like, oh, thank God. So we, we've made it. By the time we got there, like, I don't even know how long we were on the water. It felt like 10 hours. <laughs> it's probably a couple hours, though, but bet, yeah. Yeah, got to the shore, never happier to touch land in my life. Had one last smoke with the boys just to calm down, because I had to get up at, like, 6 in the morning to get the ferry to get back to Nairobi. Oh, my gosh, yeah, it was crazy. Said goodbye to the boys, and then just crashed. I was, <laughs> I was exhausted. <laughs> literally exhausted it's so cold i don't even know if there was blankets on the side whatever i could find i just bundled up and so up at 6 30 in the morning packed said goodbye to bj just got to the ferry just before seven and before it left so luckily got on the ferry get to the to the bus bus actually leaves on time which is a miracle but then about 45 minutes later we pull into a little village and it took 45 minutes to change a tire on the bus <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> This is more like Africa traveling. <laughs> anyway, so I got going again, and then we're about an hour out of Malindi. So like Malindi and Mombasa are the two big coastal towns. And the bus went to pass a truck. And of course, the roads are completely flooded now. So not only are they crap, they're now flooded. <laughs> Good times. Anyway, so yeah, the bus was, went to pass this big truck. And I don't know what happened because like the roads are muddy, whatever. So we slipped off the road. And I thought the bus was going to flip. Like, we're, we're about 45 degree angle. And I think the axle caught something in the mud and that prevented us from completely doing, you know, 180 off the side of the road. Awesome. <laughs> it's like back to back. I think I'm going to die. <laughs> Seriously, it's not even 12 hours apart. So we kind of all get out of the bus. But you have to climb out of the bus. Like I said, it was about 45 degree angle. And then luckily, like, there was these two tractors nearby. We're like, oh, okay, we're saved. And the bus driver goes over to talk to the two tractor drivers, guessing they wanted too much money. So the bus driver walks back and the two tractors drove, drove off. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like, screw this. So I grab my backpack. I just start hitching on the side of the road. About half an hour later, like, the bus is still there. <laughs> Remember, no mobiles. You just can't call out roadside assistance. So... Half an hour later, this lovely new Range Rover pulls over. There's two, or there's three white guys in there. There are two of the guys are from Yugoslavia and their driver, Sebastian. Yeah, jump in. We're going to Melindi. I'm like, awesome. So we get to Melindi and I, you know, I'd ask them to drop me off kind of outside Melindi so I could hitch to Mamasa. And they're like, well, it's rude that, you know, this is our tradition, Yugoslavian tradition. You have to have a drink with us before you go. And I'm like, oh God, plus money to buy. <laughs> But I was like, okay, sure. Okay, so we went to Palm Gardens, which is a place I went before when I was in Lindy. We had a beer. 
And then, of course, they're like, well, I think you guys, you should just stay tonight and we'll pay for your, get you a room at the guest house that Sebastian, their driver, was staying at. And Sebastian will also drive you to Mombasa in the morning. How's that? If you stay the night and have dinner with us and drinks, which we'll pay for as well. So I'm like, well, <laughs> be rude not to. <laughs> so we did that. We had a great night. And then we went to a disco afterwards, which was hilarious. And of course, now I've had about five or six beers on antibiotics. Not great, but had a really fun night with them. And then, yeah, just went back to my room, crashed. And next morning, Sebastian was there. We had breakfast together. He paid. And I'm getting chauffeur driven in a new Range Rover to uh, Mombasa. <laughs> And at this point, I think I had 500 shillings to my name, about 10 bucks. That's it. It's just like, well, this has worked out very well. Yeah, he drops me off like outside Mombasa so I can hitch Nairobi, say goodbye. And then he drove back to Melindy. So I had to wait maybe an hour on the side of the road for a ride. And these two local guys pulled over and they said, okay, we'll take you to Nairobi for 200 shillings. I was like, because they're like, well, the bus is now 400 shillings. And I was like, I didn't know if that was true or not, because I can't remember the price. But I was like, okay, fine. Get with these two guys. So on our way to Mombasa, we got pulled over by the police twice, <laughs> both times. Because I guess the registration and license or something wasn't right. Plus, cops are super corrupt in Kenya. Well, in a lot of places in Africa. Not all of them, but a lot of them. <laughs> So, of course, two bribes later were finally through. And then I was kind of dozing in the back. Like, I uh, felt very comfortable with them, I guess. I'm just super tired because I really only got about five hours of sleep after my Dow ordeal. And now I've had a bus ordeal. <laughs> so it's just like, it's very tired. Of course, still have your infection. So anyways, we, about 70 kilometers outside Nairobi, I, I happened to look at the, you know, the gas thing. And I'm like, it's on empty. And we're about 70 kilometers outside Nairobi. Plus, we had just stopped at a gas station maybe half an hour previously. I'm like, what the hell, man? I'm just like, I'm never going to get to Nairobi. <laughs> anyway, we were lucky enough. We literally coasted into a gas station about 30 kilometers outside Nairobi. So they put some more gas in. Finally got to Nairobi. Finally got back to Iqbal. I was like, wow, I never thought I'd make it back here or <laughs> at all, really. So got to the Iqbal Hotel and there was a note from Chris, Paul, and Steve about kind of explaining why they didn't make it to Lamu. So I guess Steve had rented a car and they're doing like a one day or two day safari in Masai Mara, like in their own Land Rover that they rented. And somehow Steve hit three antelope or something. I don't even know. <laughs> I just said it hurt. We hit a herd of animals. <laughs> what? How did did you do that? So I guess the, the Land Rover lost, I don't know, he lost control of the car somehow and then hit these herd of some sort of animals. I think antelopes or something like that. So because our insurance was $1,500 US for damage, we decided to just leave the country. <laughs> they flown back to Europe. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that's why I didn't see them in Lamu. Well, anyway, there was a few people there that I knew, and so we decided to go out for my last dinner. I think this was my second last night there, yeah. But I had to get up, like, I had to be at the airport at 3 in the morning, so this was kind of my, officially my last night there. 
And of course, the friends that I knew from previous uh, in Africa, other places in Africa, Malawi, you know, whatever. They're like, okay, let's go for dinner. We want to go to carnivores. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Just because that was the most expensive because you had to get a taxi out there and home as well. I mean, it was cheap if you had money, but again, I didn't have much money. So I just kind of did it a la carte again and picked off other people's plates. So it was fine. And we went to the disco again. It was okay. I didn't really drink. I was like, oh my God, my last day in Africa. This is so crazy. Yeah, I had to be at the airport at 3 in the morning. And my flight left at 4.30 on Air Sudan. And we had, we stopped in Khartoum and Cairo. And then I finally got into London, England. Fifteen hours later, I think it was on the actual day. So it was May seventeenth, and I arrived in Paris on January seventeenth, nineteen ninety-three. This was now ninety-four, so it was pretty cool that it was exactly sixteen months to the day that this trip lasted. Thirty-one thousand miles. So there you go. That's the wrap for this series. So thank you so much for listening. And guess what? I also hit ten thousand downloads. So that is awesome. I never expected that. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. But don't you worry, because my next series, which will be out in two weeks, will be about my latest trip. So this was my first big, well, this was my first backpacking trip, 93-94. And then next series will be about my month in Central America, again, traveling by land in 2020. So just before COVID. So I just want to give you a contrast to show you what my traveling was like back then to now. And now it's time for Tam's Top Tips. So for Nairobi, like I actually really like Nairobi. Lots of people hate it, <laughs> but they're only there for a day or two. I mean, like I said, I spent so much time there on and off that I, I knew it pretty well. And I knew what areas to go to what or areas to leave. But for me, like it was just like the food and restaurants and, you know, bars and clubs and stuff like that was so, so much fun, especially the first time I went. After spending two months in Sudan, Eritrea, Ethiopia, with not much food, not much anything. So I think that's one of the reasons I like Nairobi so much. So give it a chance. You know, just at nighttime, yeah, get maybe, you know, Ubers or taxis or things like that. Just to be safe or travel in groups. Should be fine. But give it a shot. And tip number two is Lamu. Just go. Just go, go, go to Lamu. And now they have an airport, so... <laughs> If you don't want to be crazy like me and travel overland, you can't actually get, fly from Nairobi to Lamu or go to Mombasa. And I think you can fly from Mombasa to Lamu too. But God, it's such a beautiful place. And if they still rent out houses, then I definitely suggest doing that. I'm sure they don't rent them out for one or two dollars a night anymore. <laughs> so that's for sure. Okay. And yeah, three, when you go to the beach, any beaches, like this is about the only pretty sure of all my traveling and even like when I'm in Canada I go to beaches like or England like I lived right on the beach well just off the beach in England for 20 years this might have been the first time I've ever had anything stolen from me you know the best thing is if I mean like it was me like there was no one else on the beach then I can't ask anyone to look after my stuff but what I did for this Central American trip like I you can get these waterproof little pouches which have a waist belt <laughs> You just put, you know, your your money and phone and things like that in there. And it's waterproof. You just have to bring your waist so you can still swim and stuff like that. So definitely throw on Amazon. Check those out. They're not very expensive. Get one of those. Obviously, leave your, like, money belt or if you carry those or your passport or, like, lots of money. Leave those in your safe if you have a safe. 
or somewhere hidden in your hotel room. Even when you're just walking around, just bring out what you need for the day in money. Because the worst thing you do is bring out your wallet with a huge chunk of cash in there, wherever you are. You are just asking to be pickpocketed or robbed. <laughs> like, just have a little bit of money that you need for the day in there. Leave the rest back in the hotel. And don't forget, please, please, please never travel without travel insurance. Trust me, I learned once from the hard way and never again. <laughs> this is the travel insurance company that I use and they're awesome. They cover over 130 different countries. So go check them out. Manyroadstravel.com forward slash insurance, double L in traveled, and don't leave home without it, as the saying goes. <laughs> Not only is it great for you, but it also helps support the show. Thank you. Okay, and then for solo female travelers, I mean, you hear all the crazy stuff I did. <laughs> and like I said, I guardian angels or whatever, but I did listen to my gut. If you listen to this whole series, I was in people's car, like men's cars, men's houses. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, just didn't have the fear. I don't know if that's gotten worse nowadays. I don't know. But, you know, just be aware. And now it's obviously keep in touch. And if you, you know, have your mobile, have that on, like find me at find me up or tell people where you're going, stuff like that. So it's much easier to stay in touch with people who care about you and want to know where you are. Like with me, there'll be times my family and friends didn't know what country I was in for months. <laughs> so maybe don't do what I do. Okay, so that is a wrap. It's a long episode. I was thinking about breaking it in two, but I'm like, oh, why not give you a bumper? for the last episode in this series. Okay, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a step along the way. And we will see you next time in Central America, which was beautiful. Awesome. Of course, you can always find more info on the website, manyroadstravel.com. Okay, and until next time, safe travels on your time.